The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. Welcome to Let's Talk About It with Janelle King. I am Janelle King and this is Extra 106.3. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you. If this is your first time and you want to hear some past episodes, please feel free to check those out. You can go to my website, allthingsjking.com, allthingsjking.com to listen to past episodes and just kind of get the links to other stuff that we have going on. Today we're going to talk about some hot topics because there's so many things that happened, but there was, you know, of course the obvious, we're going to jump into DeSantis, DeSantis deciding that he no longer wants to be in the primary and endorsing Trump. We're going to talk about a little bit about Dr. Fauci. There's some things that he said lately that we've got to discuss. There's certainly some things that we need to discuss when it comes to what's happening here on our soil as a result of the migrants that are here. It's not just some of the usual stuff. I think we've, we've advanced past that stuff and we've, we've got to dig a little bit deeper. So all of that and more on Let's Talk About It with Janelle King. I'm so excited that you've decided to join us. So briefly, briefly, I want to kind of touch on the Dr. Fauci situation. The reason why I want to talk about this is because it kind of spills over into some other stuff. So Dr. Fauci recently made a confession where he revealed that the six-week social distancing guidelines lacked scientific input. I thought that was quite interesting considering that we kept hearing, trust the science, Trust the science. I know what I'm talking about. Tell me. Listen to me. That was the thing. It was it was almost to the point where it felt like we were under a dictatorship because the way Fauci continued to get up at that podium and tell you what you have to do and just take control seemingly of your health I just thought it was it was too much it was way too much and let me tell you a little bit about this so when the COVID when COVID hit and everyone was just moving along trying to find you know follow the rules we're trying to figure out what was happening We had no clue if this was something that was going to just kill everyone, if we were going to be looking at a whole epidemic like what happened back in the 20s where we, I don't know, like we were, we were really all concerned and it was the right feeling to have. It was the right moment to have that feeling because this was a virus that no one knew about. It was actually extremely 
concerning because there was so few information. And when you fast forward now and you look at or fast forward to now and you think about the impact that COVID, that 2020 has had on the lives of so many people, on businesses, on schools, on the, your mental, on your emotional health. Like it, it, it's, it's something that we all need to be considering. But at the same time, this is the time where you look back and try to see what, what could we use? What can we not use? What was said or not said that would have been beneficial? Just how do we get to a point where we are now able to to have a better response should something like this happen again? That's where we are right now. And considering the fact that they're saying that there's a new wave of COVID that may come or that there's some new disease out here that is being tracked in a lab that has a fatal outcome every time or just about every time. And I I am going to do some more research on that. So don't you worry. I'm not going to just mention it. I'm doing some research on it. I just don't want to present it. And it's, you know, not. And I'm presenting it like Dr. Fauci. (laughs) Where it's a whole lot of opinion and fluff mixed in to, you know, mixed in with the, the, the facts. So as I'm trying to avoid doing that, I'm going to wait a little bit before I present that to you. But I do want you to know that there is something that I've, I've heard is coming on the pipeline. You may have heard of it. Some news reporters have researched it and have talked, I'm sorry, have reported on it and have talked about it. But I don't know. But what I do know is that we need to be prepared Prepared for what, right? Prepared for what? Prepared to take your healthcare into your own hands with all the information necessary in order to make a decision that is best for you and your family. But we're going to put some emphasis today on having all the information that's available and making sure that we have what we need to make that decision. That's where we are right now. And I am concerned, but I'm also upset that we allowed one individual to shut our country down, to impact our school system. We have children who are so far behind because they were forced to sit at home rather than go to school. Small businesses have shut down because they just could not stay closed for months and months on end. We were told that we needed to flatten the curve a thousand times and it felt like the goalposts, and I can't even say felt like because we've now found out that the goalposts did move, but it felt like the goalposts just continued to move and continued to move and continued to move up until... Dr. Fauci determined that he was ready for things to be open, things to be, you know, prepared. Instead of allowing businesses to take to, to take responsibility for their own business. 
something that my husband said to me when we were trying to decide what we were going to do as it relates to our business during COVID. One of the things that he said to me was, Janelle, as a business owner, I am fully aware of what I need to do in order to keep my employees safe. And during COVID, my husband installed a air filtration system to make sure that we were all breathing good, clean air on top of the filtration system that was already there in order to just kind of give an extra level of reassurance. He put in COVID guidelines. Matter of fact, we sat in separate offices to do staff meetings. We did virtual meetings. There were so many things that was done because what you fail to believe or you seem to forget oftentimes is that businesses can only operate if their employees come to work, if the people who are supporting this business support this business, and if they're producing revenue. If you impede on those areas, the business will fail provided that business has enough revenue or I'm sorry, enough of their profits stored up in residual income so they're able to support that business while they're not obtaining revenue. So a lot of our small businesses just felt so pushed to the side and unsupported during this time. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that we had Dr. Fauci at the podium being the god of COVID, much like how he was during the HIV and the AIDS pandemic or epidemic. He was, again, the end-all, be-all of it all. (laughs) And that's a problem, guys. So after the break, I'm going to jump heavily into this, into these topics, but I really want to jump heavily into Dr. Fauci first, really dive into what he said about the six-week social distancing guidelines, how it lacks scientific input. So where did it come from? That's what we need to talk about. Where did it come from? And although a lot of the guidelines that I have questions about, we're not going to discuss all of them. Because the six feet distancing was just one of them. But if you look back at 2020, we were literally sitting in rooms with family members, but we were sitting feet away from each other, face fully covered, sometimes driving in cars. I Sometimes I still see people driving in cars with their mask on their faces. It's just, we just got to talk about it. Like, were we all sheep? You know, but did we have the ability to step out and stand out and, you know, say that we think something's wrong with what's happening here? Do we have the confidence to push back against the government even when it came to our own health. That's what I am a little concerned about is how quickly we all folded. But a lot of times we felt like we didn't have the ability to push back because so much was at stake. 
And I get it. But let's continue this discussion after the break. You're listening to Let's Talk About It with Janelle King. I am Janelle King, and this is Extra 106.3. Welcome back to Let's Talk About It with Janelle King. I am Janelle King, and this is Extra 106.3. Before the break, we started talking about one of the hot topics that we're going to discuss on this today's show. And that hot topic was centered around Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci confessing in a private closed-door committee meeting that the six-feet social distancing guideline lacked scientific input and that it just kind of appeared. Matter of fact, what he admitted to lawmakers was that this whole idea of social distancing was, he said, it sort of just appeared without any type of scientific input. He revealed that the recommendation that he received as it relates to standing six feet apart was likely not based on scientific data and that he just kind of, I guess he just kind of figured it out or they kind of figured, I don't know, that's what I'm guessing is that they just kind of figured that this would work, um, that it may, if you're not standing face to face with someone that you won't spread it. I don't know, whatever. The fact that he's admitting this four years later, now let's just backtrack a little bit, right? What have we already found out about COVID that what we were told was not true back then? Well, we found out that the lab leak theory is the correct theory. That it wasn't a conspiracy theory this whole time. But in fact, the whole concept of the virus coming from a bat was a theory that had no backing, no... And you know what's interesting? I'm trying not to jump ahead. I'm trying my best not to jump ahead. Because there's so many times... When people were just asking questions, we were saying things like, well, since COVID is brand new to everyone, how is it that for an unknown virus, you know so much? That was a question that I was asking myself when I look back at the whole COVID response, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burke. I remember saying a few things to my husband. I said, why is Dr. Fauci always talking? I said, why is he so certain? How is he so certain? How does he know all this stuff about an unknown virus? Which that made me feel a little concerned because I felt like, well, maybe he knows something I don't know. But then I said, well, if you know something that we don't know and it's going to help us uh, be able to make a decision as it relates to our health, then why are you not sharing it? And then I was like, I got this sense of, I don't know. It just, it was this feeling of like that I couldn't challenge the thought. I couldn't challenge what you're saying. And the reason why I can't challenge it is because simply because you said it. That's what, that's what I thought during 
the whole COVID situation, I always just wondered, why does it feel like we are being controlled into responding a certain type of way rather than being having suggestions or being advised? Because when it's something unknown, in my humble opinion, I feel like you can't tell me you have to advise because you could be wrong. And turns out he was. But what's more disturbing about this recent development of him stating that the whole social distancing and six feet thing is just not, you know, that that was something that just kind of appeared, came out of nowhere. What's so interesting about it is that number one, you didn't tell us that when you said it. And number two, you're now saying it so matter of fact as if it didn't affect so many people. I mean, there were grandparents who weren't allowed to see their grandchildren. There are parents who are still and people who are still holding the whole social distancing, not wearing a mask and all of those guidelines over the heads of other family members. That is, and, and there are people who passed away in nursing homes because of some of these guidelines like the, and had to pass away by themselves in these nursing homes, might I add. So there was a fallout. There was an effect. And I just felt like he came off as a bit of a authoritarian rather than a guide during the pandemic. And it caused me to want to go back and look at other times where Dr. Fauci was the authoritarian on things and the most, I guess I should say, the the best example, because I'm pretty sure there's so many, so many other times where he was involved, but we can go back to the 80s during the AIDS and HIV pandemic or epidemic. And that's where, as I started doing my research, that's where I first started seeing Dr. Fauci on the main stage. And he was kind of brought into that because he's done work with these particular organizations and he has done work centered around viruses and infectious disease and things of that nature. And so people were like, let's just go with him. Let's just try it. And that's what you do when you have something that no one knows anything about. You try to pull together the people who have the most experience in that space and see if they can figure it out. What I found in my research is that there was a conversation around there being a vaccine for AIDS that he had been working on. And at this point, I think he was about, let's see, I think he's about two decades into working and fighting against this deadly disease, deadly virus with no avail. There's no vaccine that has come out and things of that nature. So people were questioning him and they were like, well, where is it? Like, what, what is it? And here we are, what is this? 2024, several, several decades later. And I know there's a lot of medications to kind of make you undetectable. And then, and God knows the virus is gone. It's still here. And, but it has, we have it under control, I should say, but there was never a vaccine 
that never it never came about. So what happened? I can't find that. I can't find out, you know, what happened. If you know, please tell me where are they still working on it? I have no idea. But it just felt like a whole lot of information being said at that time, but nothing really panned out in the long run. So here are my thoughts, right? And let's let's just keep in mind that our healthcare is our problem. Um, I as much as I think that Dr. Fauci has a lot to do with you know just not being able to get us where we need to be as far as giving us the information that's necessary for us to make decisions for ourselves. I do think that there is a conversation that we have to have with ourselves around our health care and knowing that it is 100% our problem. It's not the government's problem. To be, to be quite frank, the role of the government is to provide us with the information that I need and I may not be privy to so that I and so that you can make a decision that's best for your family. And I think it's important to note that healthcare is not a it's not a government right of yours. You can't say things like, oh, because uh, I live in America, I'm somehow entitled to health care. That's not correct. That's not correct. Actually, it kind of works a little bit differently. The government's, res- government's responsibility around your health care is to make sure that medical professionals are not taking advantage of you. It's supposed to make sure that medical professionals are, 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 are actually licensed, that they are they can't just open up practices without showing that they have the necessary education in order to issue health care and support you in that way. There are so many other reasons why the, the government and our, our government has to be involved in the healthcare process. But we have to be really extremely careful not to think that's that that healthcare is now a governmental right of ours because it's not it's not and when i look back at covid there were so many things and so many decisions that were being made as it relates to my healthcare that i just 100% could not get behind i just could not do it i didn't understand the mask while standing but you could take your mask off while sitting That was bizarre to me. I didn't understand us having to stand six feet apart from people in the same room. Let me tell you something. If anybody who's married, you know, if your spouse gets sick, it's only a matter of time before you're going to get sick. And 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 believe me, it's because we're under the same roof. That's why. It's because we're under the same roof. It's not because I was, he was standing four feet closer to me than he should have been. Like, that's just not how that works. So I thought that was bizarre. I didn't understand seeing people walk around in face shields versus face versus mask because I, I, I was like, wait, wait, what are we doing now? I saw people in full on covering their entire faces. I didn't understand staying home every single day rather than us pushing for some level of collective immunity and being able to kind of coexist with each other that means yes you will have you will get get the virus but with the with the 99.9 percent uh survival rating rate i I'm, i will risk it if it means that we can now become healthier as a result 
I didn't understand the whole flattening of the curve conversation where the curve, it never came. So many times he would say things like, once we hit this benchmark, we would have flattened the curve. Once we hit this benchmark or that benchmark, and we would hit those and then there will be no conversation of the curve being flattened. It will just come with more restrictions. That part was really confusing to me. And then it bothered me that natural immunity was something that was pushed to the side and so quickly pushed over. And this was being done since all of this was happening as a result of an unknown virus. What was scary about it all was that so many people placed their lives in the hands of strangers who have no idea what the virus was. There were so many people that were challenging their their family members, their friends, their co-workers and battling them out and standing 10 toes flat on how they felt. And it was all connected to Dr. Fauci. Many were refused to just ask simple questions. So, so much just didn't make sense. And here we are four years later and we're having this conversation. And as we're having this conversation, I'm noticing that it seems like everything we questioned, everything we thought was a problem or we didn't understand that was that we were told that you'll get kicked off social media if you talk about it. All of that. And here we are four years later to find out that in a lot of ways we were right. We were right. You've got to take control of your own life. Let's move on to the next topic. So there's a poultry slaughterhouse in Mississippi that is under fire. Apparently, a 16-year-old victim, Duvon Perez, he was cleaning the deboning area when his hand got caught and he was pulled into the machinery. And despite a manager being present and the safety procedures that called on them to disconnect power, that wasn't followed. And he ended up dying while working there. And this is a poultry slaughterhouse that supplies chicken to a lot of different places, Chick-fil-A being one of them, but we are not going to indict Chick-fil-A because this has nothing to do with that, with that particular company. But, but they, they, it's, they're saying that they do buy chicken from one of these places. So they have a $200,000 fine by OSHA. There were apparently 14 serious violations there that propose an issue. But the one issue that everyone's talking about is the fact that this young man was underage while he was working there. He was illegally hired at 16 years old. I don't know how long he had been working there, but he used a false identifying, like basically he um, had a fake ID, I'm assuming, but whatever he used to identify himself, it was of a 32-year-old man. So there's some child labor investigations going on into the into slaughterhouses. 
But there's actually two investigations that are going on right now. We have the ocean investigation, obviously, around the death itself and those other violations. And then we are, or they are, investigating the fact that he was a minor. And this topic made me think about a lot of different things. One, I thought about the migrant situation and how we have so many migrants that we have in this country that we cannot track. And I'm pretty sure there are people who are taking advantage of them and utilizing them for, you know, just to be able to make money and run their business and hire them in order to, you know, use them for to. And and I'm sure that you can pay them a lot less than the going rate. So I thought about that. This particular individual, excuse me, I don't know if he was a migrant or not, but I'm assuming he's he was born here or he's or he's legal, but we don't know. We don't know. That's a whole other conversation. I'm sure that'll all come out in the process. But it made me think about our worker shortage that we have going on. It made me think about the fact that we can't track migrants because whenever you have businesses that are in desperate situation where they feel like they just cannot hire because there's just not enough people applying then they will be willing to cut corners and make, you know, take different different avenues. I heard a young woman who was talking about some of the corruption that takes place in governments during in other countries. And one of the things she said was she said the people are not corrupt. It's just that the red tape that it takes in order to survive forces you to be corrupt. And I thought that was quite interesting. So that was something that really, you know, stood out to me. But anyway, back to this. Are we putting ourselves in a position where people are going to start doing things like this? Are organizations that are helping migrants to hide in plain sight, are they going to win? And if they do, how long and how many times are we going to have to hear about these type of cases like here where we are hiring a child thinking now, clearly I'm looking at a picture of this child. He does not look 32 at all. I don't even know. He did not look 32. So that obviously was either a misstep or maybe they did it on purpose. But it made me think about something that Senator Joe Manchin mentioned that I think I'm kind of interested in. He said that we should consider giving work visas or temporary work visas to the migrants so that they can go to work. And immediately I was like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But then I said, ho, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up. What are the issues we have right now? Number one, we cannot track them. Work visas would allow us to track the migrants. If you're in this country illegally and you set up a system where they have to apply to get this temporary work visa so at least they can work while they're here and we're trying to figure out what to do and how to get them back and who they are and where they are and what they have. And, you know, we got court dates over here and some court dates not over there and whatever. While all that's trying to get 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 cleaned out i'm like why not allow our businesses to be able to hire some of these people if especially if no one else wants to work hire them so that the businesses can thrive we can we can create some economic stability but most importantly we can track them and now we have some collateral to get them to go to court 
Because if your job is on the line, meaning if you have this work visa and you now, we now know where you work, we know what state you're in, we know where your address is, at least the address that you're utilizing, and it's all verified, and now you can work, but you've got to show up for court. So then now that puts, that gives us some collateral to get them to court. And then you can create a plan of whether or not they need to go back, and then we can then work on the immigration process getting you here, or if you really are a refugee and you really are running from something, it allows us to be able to you know, determine that and do some real research on that. So I, I don't know. I started thinking about this because at the end of the day, even as Republicans, we're not anti-immigration. And if you are, then you're just crazy. You can't be in America and be anti-immigration. This is the melting pot, right? So, and then I, I don't know. I, I just thought to myself and I said, I don't think that's a bad idea. I don't think it's a bad idea. At this point, we got to track them. And why not create a system that not only tracks these migrants, but also creates a situation where we can now help our businesses to be able to help stabilize this economy that we know is a little rocky right now. And it reminded me of a conversation that Kelvin and I had when it came to the migrants, it was an individual who said that it's not compassionate to have people, you know, crossing the border, taking these treacherous, treacherous journeys, living on the streets. I mean, there are pe- migrants in Colorado who don't have coats as we're in the dead of winter. There's a lot of people who are a lot of migrants that are trying to return back. And I'm like, they're going to cross the desert again, tracking across this desert by foot with nothing but what's on their backs. I mean, how is that compassionate? Where is the compassionate? That's not compassionate. Well, you know what is compassionate? What's compassionate is telling them the truth. It's improving our immigration process. It's closing the border to protect our migrants who came into this country the right way and those who actually fled for safety. That's what it is. And that's what we should be doing. But let's think about it. I would like to know what you think about the work visa option. Should we do that? Tell me what you think. We're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we're going to wrap all this up. And I'm going to kind of give you my final thoughts on all of this and how they all kind of go together. And we're going to talk a little bit briefly about DeSantis. You're listening to Let's Talk About It with Janelle King. I am Janelle King, and this is Extra 106.3. So let's talk about it with Janelle King. I am Janelle King. This is Extra 106.3. Take a listen to what Governor DeSantis said regarding his most recent departure from the primary. He prayed and deliberated on the way forward. If there was anything I could do to produce a favorable outcome, more campaign stops, more interviews, I would do it. But I can't ask our supporters to volunteer their time and donate their resources if we don't have a clear path to victory. Accordingly, I am today suspending my campaign. I'm proud to have delivered on 100% of my promises, and I will not stop now. 
It's clear to me that a majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. They watch his presidency get stymied by relentless resistance, and they see Democrats using lawfare this day to attack him. Well, I've had disagreements with Donald Trump, such as on the coronavirus pandemic and his elevation of Anthony Fauci. Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. That is clear. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. He has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear, a repackaged form of warmed over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents. The days of putting Americans last, of kowtowing to large corporations, of caving to woke ideology are over. I thank all of our passionate supporters who have stood by us through it all, that we had people. Here's my take on Governor DeSantis dropping out of the race. I understand why he did it. I think I think we're all living under a rock if you don't understand why he did it. I mean, President Trump has a commanding lead right now in this primary. And one of the things about Trump, whether you love him, hate him, whatever, you better be willing to outwork him. You have to outwork him. And that's not to say that the Santas didn't work hard enough. That's not to say that Nikki Haley or any other candidates are not working hard enough. Personally, I have my own theory on that. And I've talked about it several times. I think that they didn't have a fair shot because we, as the voters, we allowed the primary process to be circumvented by one particular candidate simply because there were a lot of people who supported him. And because he was leading in the polls, we felt like he didn't have to debate. We didn't have to question any of his stances. And the first time we're going to hear where he stands in 2024 is on a debate stage in a general election, more than likely. So we got to be prepared for that. Don't be shocked. Don't be confused. We just got to be prepared for it. So that was our fault. And I also feel like Governor DeSantis needed to have a general election message. His, his, his message was too similar to Trump because there was too much of a, I'm trying to evoke the support of people who have already selected the person they plan to support, which was President Trump. There wasn't anything that differentiated him. He didn't seem to be different. And I'm not seeing that often. And it got to be more than just, I'm anti this and you're for this, right? There need to be something. People were looking for something else. And I believe that people were just really wanting there to be something that says, you get what I'm saying, what I'm feeling here on the ground. So I'm not surprised. Now, VP pick. Do I think it'll be beneficial for President Trump to pick DeSantis as his VP pick? Absolutely. And let me tell you why. He can't pick someone who's going to be completely opposite of him. He can't pick a Chris Christie or a Nikki Haley, in my opinion, because their audience is so outside of the Trump orbit that I think that they, they that would probably create apathy. I feel like DeSantis would introduce us to or introduce him back to the voters that have left him because they wanted something that's a little bit more restrained. Uh, DeSantis, to me, represented Trump's policies without Trump's personality. And that uh, that group of voters, I believe, is very, very valuable. There's a lot of them. Matter of fact, I saw a huge DeSantis supporter who was on Spaces, on, on X, 
and he did several conversations with people. And one of the things he said was that if DeSantis is the VP pick, I will then vote for Trump. So you have a lot of people who are either saying, I'm not going to vote at all, or I may vote third party if, if Trump's the nominee. And I think DeSantis can bring some of those voters back. If you hadn't listened to his succession speech, you should listen to it. It was, it was a really, it was really, it was really interesting, you know, being that I'm one of those voters that I don't want us to go back to the status quo. I don't want us to go back to an establishment style or vibe. I cannot stand when we are not pushing policy in an effective way and we're pushing more emotionalism. However, I really do want us to have some type of decorum on the main stage because so many other countries are looking at us. So... What does all of this have to do? Like, how do I tie all this together between Dr. Fauci, between the situation in Mississippi when we had the young man who broke, who labor laws and ended up dying in a slaughterhouse? What does all this have to do? It's all about importance of personal responsibility. We all have a personal responsibility. We can no longer avoid topics like immigration and healthcare, and we have to elect people who have a plan. I think voters are just exhausted. We are exhausted. And I think that the reason why there's so much exhaustion is because the apathy around voting, because all politicians sound, feel, griminess of politicians, it's all the same. People are looking for something different. They're looking for someone who actually cares about how they feel. They're looking for people who can identify with the pain that they're feeling on a day-to-day basis. They're looking for people who are willing to pass the torch when that time is necessary to individuals who have been in society. You know, I feel like oftentimes America is like that fat king. Do you remember in medieval movies where you, you see how there's always this like fat king who has been the, the the leader the over this particular area that's now thriving. They've won wars. They've accomplished things. They've taken territory. They've done all the great things. And now that we're living in a lap of luxury, we don't know what to do with it. And then we turn into these little mini thick dictators rather than still governing with that same spirit of achievement and collectivism and being able to connect with the townspeople and figuring out what their needs are. There's almost no desire to want to be appreciated and respected by the community and by Americans. Is that the point now where we are that fat king who's just looking down at everyone like, okay, what well, we've done all these things. We created a little comfortable environment for you. Now let us go have our fun. We're going to go live in our own little world. And there's such a disconnect. That disconnect is the problem. The candidate who can bridge the gap between the voters, the American people, who are living under these policies and their only ability to change the policy is by electing you. The person who can bridge the gap between that person, that voter, and those who have the power to fight on our behalf, who have the power to stand there in an elected position, who we've selected to go represent us, it's, it's sad 
But we are looking for the person who can bridge that gap. And fortunately for the Republican side, a lot of voters feel like that's Trump, even though he has a lot of era baggage and stuff. And I'm still concerned about his ability to win the general. I really am. However, there's a lot of voters who feel like he's that person. And that's why you're seeing what you're seeing. That right there. Thank you so much for listening. If you missed the show, please go to allthingsjking.com on Tuesday when you can watch it from beginning to end. Or if you happen to be near your radio tomorrow, tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., we'll be right here at Extra 106.3 for an encore of this episode so that you can tune in then. Until then, have a great week and thank you so much for listening. This is Let's Talk About It with Janelle King. I am Janelle King and this is Extra 106.3. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. When you buy a used car, don't be taken for a ride. Get Ford Blue Advantage certified at Wade Ford, Atlanta's headquarters for factory certified pre-owned vehicles. Go to wadeford.com. There you'll find a great selection of Ford Blue Advantage certified used cars, trucks, and SUVs with Blue certified. Nearly all makes and all models are in stock now. You'll find something perfect for just about any budget. Buy with confidence at the Wade Ford factory certified used car outlet at wadeford.com. Wade Ford. We are Atlanta's Ford dealer. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. <sighs> or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing. Or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands. An easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at Camp Margaritaville Lanier Islands.com.